I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. There's a little tremor in my voice. You might hear it because I'm scared. This was a brutal stage finishing early. You probably a lot of you degenerates, if you're watching on the YouTube of LRCP, can see the lights brighter in the room. That's because the stage finished so early because just a nuclear pace crazy stage from Saint-Gaudin, which is uh, to the west of Foire, where they finished yesterday, a bit near me, but on the f- other side of the French border, 131Ks short stage from there to Perregoud, which is, it's just medium, not medium mount, that's incorrect. It's Pagacha territory. We always yeah. said this, the first 53Ks are flat. That will make brake formation difficult. And then the Coldas Bass starts, the last longest climb of the day, 12Ks, 6.5%, Cat 1. Descent, there are barely any, barely any valleys. Descent, then into the Orcat d'Alcizar, which is 8.6 Ks at 5%, but the first four and a half are seven. Descent, short valley, Col de Valorant, which is 8.5 Ks, 7.5%, little bit irregular. Descent, even shorter valley through Ludenville, about 1,000 meters altitude, then going up to 1,500, up to Paragoud, which is 8.1 Ks, 7. I think 7%, because there's a ramp at the end where Froome stood still in whenever Aru took the yellow jersey off him back in the day. So it's very similar to rom Colombier combos in that we have 20 minutes, 7 to 8% climbs, back-to-back with short valleys in between. It's slightly cooler conditions today, although I will say it's still warm. Like, if you're saying, oh, it's cool now, it's Bogatia-like temperatures, no, no, it's still it's still warm summer conditions. It's still not raining, at least today. And... Yeah, I'm the man on the ground, even though I'm not actually at the race. But before the stage, Benji, Micah out. What did you think? How did you think that would affect Pagacha? Ooh, I think before the stage, I would have said that it's more difficult to dictate how the race would go for UAE, as in they would be more. It would be more difficult to dictate, basically because they're so outnumbered when it comes to Yumbo, so that Yumbo will basically decide the pace on the first two climbs is what I expected on the stage. Was that your thoughts as well? Yeah, I thought it just meant I was doing the maths again. No Solaire, no Micah. That means are they just going to wait for Valorant and then just hard pace that with, uh, with no, Micah's gone, with McNulty as the last man left. And like I didn't think Bjerg and Hirschi could do anything because they frankly get dropped, have been getting dropped uphill Pretty quickly, particularly here. She he, Bjerg's not always been too bad on shallow gradients. Bjerg's had one good pull this entire uh, Tour de France on Col du Granon. On the first climb, he did the first half or the second half. Well, the first half of that climb, I think he paced that, and that was a really decent pull. I think. Oh, Telegraph, Bjerg, but... yeah, I think you're yeah. right. And Jabel Jais, he's actually pulled on that before. Even, I think, her feet in 2021, he stayed there. But that being said, not a man who's ever been able to reduce groups. But before we get into the action, which started and didn't stop for the entirety of the stage, whether you're just starting out on your cycling journey 
or you're looking for those final tune-ups ahead of a big event or race, Zwift is the online cycling platform that makes things fun and they're the LRCP show partner. There are nine different worlds, thousands of kilometers of virtual road, including replicas of real-world climbs like the Alpe de Zwift and then Top. Workouts, training plans, and events are available for every level of rider. This massive community means you're never alone, especially if you join the LRCP Zwift Club. To stay in the loop, we will have a group ride well, the, through the LRCP Club on the Stage 19 stage because it's not safe for me to exercise watching these Tour de France stages at the <laughs> moment. Like I'm not, I can't do it on Altacamp. Like my heart rate's already at 200 BPM watching the stage. Uh, so stage 19, we'll do it. Stay tuned. We'll mention the time to, in tomorrow's episode and Benji and I will hop on for a social spin and a chat on the Discord associated with it. But to find out more about Zwift or the Tour de France FemoX Zwift coming up this weekend, go to Zwift.com and get your free seven-day trial if need be. But break formation was predictably difficult because the flat just would not go. Yumbo wanted a rider in. Then they relented a little bit. They're like, okay, it's not worth it. Let's just get the break go. Then Ineos wanted to get Pidcock in. And with with a tug buddy, with a Van Baal, with a Castro, and then Yumbo were like, no, like we we're not having that either. And so the break just didn't go, Benji. Yeah, but the notable aspect with the Yumbo move to neutralize Ineos was that Wolfenot had not gone in the breakaway for like thirty kilometers in the stage, and we were nearing the intermediate sprint. And Van Aert responded to that Pitcock group when they were nearing the intermediate sprint. So I'm not sure he responded because of Pitcock being in that group to neutralize him, or because of the intermediate sprint. He went into that Pitcock group, he took one small turn, and then sat up in the wheel, and the group got neutralized. So it worked for both ways, both for the IS, the intermediate sprint, and both for neutralizing Pitcock. And then the group moved towards that intermediate sprint. We had some moves by Alpecin, because Philipson suddenly cares about getting points again for the uh, intermediate sprints, because... Is he still fighting for the second spot in the points classification? I'm actually not sure, but I think he is. Yeah, with Pogacar. So based on this, he was going for it. Van Aert sees that. And the wise thing, well, there's two parts of here. I don't think Wout Van Aert should necessarily still go for it, but he's probably in his head with the potential record that he wants to break currently from Sagan, because otherwise he still wouldn't be fighting anymore. And when Philipson goes for it, he doesn't care about Philipson taking it, but he does speed up a bit to beat the lead out of Philipson. Krieger on the line to get second there. So he still wants as many points as possible, which is visible, I think. It's because Erkov is Dutch and Philipson is Belgian. Belgian uh, Philipson was permitted to go for it. Um, that must be the reason. Or I don't know. But yeah, I think he should probably, like on stage 19, well, word of advice, let a small French team or another team collect a 1500 euro in the intermediate sprint is my advice um but yeah that wasn't the main action of the day the break just wouldn't go properly duel and bovin were ahead but they're not serious guys for this stage as we get to das called us uh but note is pacing because roman Bardet is trying to go to a break with pino and luchenko he's trying to get across and a big break had formed uh, with not too many GC threats, but Bardet was on 6.43 and Jumbo Visma seemed, I don't know, they just didn't want Bardet in the break, making their, their race harder than they probably thought it should be. But in that yep. break was, who was in there? The 
because they didn't show that second group. It was Simmons with Ciccone as a tug buddy, right? Yes, certainly. Uh, we had a larger group just ahead, and also some of our puck picks were in there. Jungles was trying to bridge up and so forth. Lutsenko was in the group. Pino was in the group. Stuff was happening at the front of the race, but because Yumbo was so vigilant at not letting the likes of Bardet go, which went on that cold span climb with his team trying to bridge him towards the front with already two teammates at the front, Benoit started taking over for Yambo on the cold span. And once Benoit started pacing, and it wasn't Laporte who was actually still in the group, he was like sitting on the left back or something, he was trying to hold on for dear life. I didn't see Van Hoydong today, so he probably just didn't have the best day, most likely, and I don't expect him to be the best on mountain stages as much as yesterday, for example, to the first stage. But once Benoit took over, I was kind of in doubt, like, is this necessary? Are days on 613 GC? Is it necessary for Yambo to be so responsive to DSM being in the breakaway? And I'm like, I don't see it as the end of the world to have Bardet in there. But nah, it's not a problem, really. Like, and he's got another minute from the TT, right? So he's really on 7:30 and Altacam tomorrow. What, 8:30? So, I think Bardet. Mm, okay, meet in the middle. But yeah, his TT's not been great throughout his career. Let's be real. Um, so I agree with what you're saying, Benji. Aspam, maybe they pace a little bit too hard and put Benoit under a little bit too much pressure because then they get to the next climb. This is where the, the stage just goes completely off the fucking rails. Mikkel Björg, 80 kilo ruler from UAE. They have Pagancho's three teammates. He or she who's just trying to survive out here. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure if he OTL'd. He, so he's got two teammates. He's got Björg and McNulty. Björg, as I said, 80 kilo ruler, comes to the front on this uh, stepped climb, the first four k's of it steeper, and he just shreds it. And uh, the, the estimations haven't come um, through initially. I'm looking at Björg maybe 5.4, 5.6 etalon, but everyone's tired, and I think it caught everyone by surprise. And also, this is what UAE have been doing all Tour de France, if you pay attention closely. This is what they do. First 90 seconds, over threshold, extremely fast to get people out of the draft to give up whatever. And that's what happened. And then they ease up. We saw that with Micah on Pagur. And I think we saw that a little bit. I haven't got Bjerg's file, but that's what I think happened on this yeah. climb as well. Because the draft is extremely important. He's got like 33 kilometers an hour. And we saw Benoit just hang on. But Benji, Yates, Godou, all Peacock, all under pressure immediately. Yeah, a group of 19, 18 started forming in that group because of Mikel Bied again. Yumbo was losing riders like Laporte earlier on on the climb. Benoit was dropping off the back and they were getting reduced to just having Wout van Aert, Tingergaard, and also Sepp Kuz in that group. So it's basically a 3v3 at this point. So that's a very different situation from how we started today's stage. But then Bjerg started pushing harder and harder on this, well, not... He didn't start pushing harder and harder on this climb yet. He kept it to the top. They had that group, I think, thinned out to roughly 15 by the time they reached the top, roughly like that. And they were catching more riders from the breakaway because that breakaway was falling apart ahead where Lutsenko and Pinot were up the front for a bit. Then eventually got caught by the group Ciccone again. In KOM standings, plenty of stuff was happening to the point where I think Ciccone tried to gain as many points as possible. Gashka was in there to gain KOM points or secure it. He Three was Simmons. not at the front group. Do you think so? Just, I'm just saying that as a general point, just free Quinn Simmons. I think I'd like him to get com super combative, actually. He's been in the break or doing yep. work for teammates all 
all week. Sorry, I interrupted your train of thought, Benji. But yeah, I was looking back, seeing Mikkel Bjerg reducing the group to 20, dropping Adam Yates, and I was like, what is going on? Even Wout van Aert, I mean, didn't look under pressure there. But then, Benji, on the descent, we saw Pino. So we've done now the first two climbs. We have a bit of a respite before Valeron uh, Perigude combo. And Bjerg goes to the top, UA don't push on uh, on the descent at all. And that lets eventually before Valeron, Pidcock, Yates go to everyone, or most of the guys come back. Menke's looking pretty good for his level here at this point. We see ahead Pino. I think Lutschenko, Benji, he's not got a, he has to never let Pino in front of him on that descent. I think Lutschenko knew, he's not stupid. He knew they had to work together. Mm. They had two climbs left. He wasn't pushing, but Pino was struggling on the descent. Enric Mas was struggling. I will say, like, it is crazy that, listen, I crashed down Rubasa last year. I'm one to talk, but I'm not a professional cyclist. I'm a professional shit talker. Seeing a pro, like, he's always descending on the hoods, and I think the crashes this year have made his sort of slightly nervous descending go even worse because he's crashed maybe three times. Yeah, and, like, for the logic, if people don't know that much about, like, descending technique and so forth, the reason that descending on the hoods is worse than descending in the drops, the bottom part of your handlebars, means that your center of gravity is higher and therefore your lines in the corner will either be he doesn't worse, tip it in. Or if you actually take the same lines as you would if you're in the drops, then it's more dangerous to crash because then you're basically having less grip because, well, your center of gravity is higher. And Does also you hit a stone, you hit a bump. So remember when Bala crashed? And I think he, I don't know if he was in the hoods last year behind Carapaz and the Vuelta, but just for an example, you ride over a little gutter, your hands are on the hoods, you're sweaty, it's hot, they just slip off the top. Possible. That's what happened to me when I crashed. So I, I'm one to talk as I, as I know. <laughs> but I know because I, like, I, was, I was like, fuck, if I was in the drops, not being stupid or just taking it too casual, that wouldn't have happened. You got your, anyway, it might still happen. And yeah. So that's just Enric Master sending big issue for him. Anyway, they have Pino and Lushenko are going to be caught, and we know this is going to be a GC day. The gap's like a minute. Barde is going to be caught. Lechnerson tries to go clear, a um, little bit freed. Chris Hamilton wasn't freed, and yeah, Barde was just too close. Anyway, Valeron get to the base. Mikael Bjerg drops Wout and up. The first three kilometers, I grant you, they're not that steep. It is still. But like, <laughs> he drops Wout van Aert, Mikkel Björk. He reduces the group again to like 20 riders. Then Brandon McNulty takes over and it's crazy. He just drops literally everybody one by one. First, I think Yates and Pidcock, they were already gone. Then Godou's group with Vlasov, Quintana, Menkes. Then we just have... Uh, well, it's gone, as I said. Then we have Koos, Jonas, Thomas, Pagatcha, McNulty. Koos drops near to the top. McNulty's just rap, tapping out a rhythm. Thomas drops at the end of Laurent. And I'm thinking, no, not even the end, Benji. We were like, there was still like three Ks left in the climb, yeah. right? Yeah, everybody was dropping in that group. And I was, I was getting scared for everybody in the group because we're talking about a climb that is not the final climb of the day. And to have Yates drop the climb before that man was destined to lose tons of minutes in the stage at that point. This group being so reduced on this climb right now, insane. And the McNulty pull that happened on this damn climb was brutal. 
this is McNulty's surely best ever career performance. Like, if you were following maybe the articles uh, back in February, he won a French uh, one-day race, but today he, like, I thought he was going to launch Pogaccia, and I actually think McNulty was stronger than Pogaccia today because eventually yep. we have we have Val Laurent. McNulty's pulled the pretty much the entirety of the actual climb proper. And they broke the previous record. I don't know what the watts are yet on that climb. I know the Perigude one for now. And Pogaccia doesn't attack on the climb itself. I knew We knew he's going to attack over the descent because now Jonas has no teammates, no satellite rider. If he attacks on this descent, Jonas chasing the valley, big problems. But when Pogaccia sat behind McNulty on Valeron Benji and there's the steep section ends with three Ks to go, I thought, like, I don't know, because I'm going back into flat earth mode, but I thought Pogaccia, <laughs> I don't think he thinks he can drop Jonas just head-to-head on a climb proper. I think, I think as a rider, you have to believe that you can drop. Otherwise, otherwise you won't be starting it. But... It is very clear from the way he's riding Laurent, Laurent, Laurent Azé. That's how you say it. You're yes, looking at me on for that pronunciation climb. tips. <laughs> Valorant Azé. Yes, yes, yes. I, I can speak French. I had 10 years at school, okay? It just doesn't show every every single time. But when it comes to this Valorant... Oh, <laughs> on Sucked this climb... <laughs> Flemish fr- teaching French in, in Flanders ain't what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> Any balloons listening to this must be like... What's going on? They said they learned both languages. Valorant was there. 10K is 7.5%. No, maybe a bit less. Yes. So the group was reducing. I just want to talk about this, okay? We've got the situation where McNulty is there. Pogacar is in the wheel. We've got Cus still with Vingega. Cus is still looking good at that point in the race, in my opinion. Thomas is still there. But like you said, every single rider is dropping. And the next rider to drop is Sepp Cus. And Sapkaz is the kind of rider where I can't predict when he's about to drop. I generally cannot. Because I thought he looked good. I thought he looked great. And <laughs> yeah. then he was gone. I thought he looked good. And then he's getting he a, bit, a beat on. He's got a beat on. He's like, <laughs> on, the, on the legs, on the thighs. I think Thomas looked at the power meter and was like, this is fucked. Also, <laughs> um, he's like, I can't hang with these guys. He's also, by the way, Thomas at this point has dropped everyone else contesting third. So he's like, power meter time, Let's. this is ridiculous. But I will say, I think Pogaccia hoped that McNulty could drop Jonas or show a proper weakness in Jonas. Yeah. He didn't He didn't attack on the climb. Well, and Yeah, that's true, on the climb though. No, no, but the descent yeah. attack stuff is different. That is not attacking him on the climb. That is trying really? to get a gap into the descent where he's heavier. Um, but he's not... Uh, we've been saying this for a while. Pogaccia's descending... It ain't that great. Go and look at Lombardia descent. He got caught by Fausto Masnada, Fausto Masnada, who couldn't put his leg in the right direction in each hairpin. And Pog lost like 50 seconds in that descent whilst clear this for descent, a monument. This descent was the most visible one, in my opinion, because they had someone in the group that was better. But we'll talk about the attack at the top first. So we see the situation. We've got three riders left at this point, nearing the top of this Valourant Azé climb that I just pronounced correctly, so I'm fucking great at French. Anyway, we see Pogacar making a move before the top. McNulty's low-key dropped for a bit. Vingegaard responds very vigilantly, directly on the wheel of Pogacar. They go over the top together, and directly when Pogacar sees that his 
competitor in his wheel, the yellow jersey, Vingegaard, is not dropped. He sits up in the descent because he knows that. Were you surprised can... by that? I, I was expecting him to try and push through on the descent. Yeah. I thought he'd try a couple more corners, you know, like at least another couple of attacks. And he's got, Jonas has got more to lose in these corners. Yeah. Agreed. And when it comes to this ascent, I did not expect Pogacar to be able to drop Vingegaard in this ascent. So Pogacar was dropping, uh, well, no, waiting for McNulty. They He's came back together descender. in descent. And we noticed that, that he wasn't a great descender in every corner because we see a situation where McNulty is first, Pogacar is second, Vingegaard is third. Literally on, I, I think, at least four to five corners, it was visible that in the corner, McNulty takes a very wide line. Pogacar takes a pretty wide line as well. Vingegaard's cornering is perfect. And he's able to pass Pogacar in the corner. Yeah, undercuts him. In each corner, yeah. he undercuts him. And we saw that on Albuez on the uphill as well. On oh, that attack true, from yeah. Pogacar. No, his pedal. <laughs> yeah. Vingegaard's <laughs> handling there was much better. Yeah. And it shows in this ascent as well. And I underrated Vingegaard's ascending. Like, today, to me, proves that he's... Above average in descending, quite certainly, Jonas Vingegaard. And he's able to hold on in this ascent, but I expected stuff to happen in the valley because I well, didn't just expect on the Pogacar. descending. Yeah, did okay. you notice? I feel McNulty locked up and then nearly crashed once and then he nearly ran wide on three. And then Pagacha was laying off him after that. After the first four or five hairpins, he, he gave him about four bike lengths. And at this point, the UAE guys were just stressing themselves out. Jonas is like, guys, he was almost, Kobe was like, Jonas is going up next and be like, this is actually how you descend properly. So this is why I said yesterday, if the descent was mano y mano yesterday, advantage Pog, because the last bit of it was false flight downhill. But technical steep, it looks like Jonas is better. And that that's relevant for our preview of tomorrow's stage with the Spandell's descent. But yeah, in the Valley, Benji, I agree with you. I was like, flat section. Isn't this where the 66-kilo guy who is Tour of Flanders would have come second at worst? Like, he can try and put Jonas under pressure before the climb, and he just sat behind McNulty. We should go back. Well, no, I'll ask, yeah, were you surprised that he didn't try and attack him or go in front of McNulty, let the wheel go sort of thing? I wasn't expecting it on the descent. I was expecting it on the valley, like you mentioned. And, like, that valley, I was just expecting him to try and put an acceleration on the right side of the road, see if he can gap the Vingegaard. McNulty tries to follow the gap of Vingegaard, for example, and see if a situation like that could happen. Because I think that Pogacar can handle the pacing on the flat better than Vingegaard. Is that wrong? Yeah, I think it's always like the Froome versus Quintana thing. Who arrives at the climb fresher? It's the bigger guy. Um, was the advantage for Froome, but it's a short valley. It ends quickly. Mm -hmm. McNulty keeps pacing it. We see them having a chat, actually, before we enter Perigude about what to do. At this point, I already was like, I think Jonas is not getting dropped here at any point. Maybe the, yeah. they'll have a sprint on the ramp, but Pagancha didn't try properly on the Valeron climb. He just went for the descent attack. He's not tried in the valley. We know from stage 11, Pagancha looked... I was already getting tweets abusing me on the Glibier, saying, you are a flat earther. He looked invincible <laughs> on the Galibier and Telegraph and then cracked on Grenoble. We know yesterday, at least in my opinion, he looked good on the first climb, Porte and then Pegura, I thought he could have been dropped or at least put under pressure. 
And so I think his second climb seems to be less. So I just wasn't expecting it. Back in the other group, we have a group of Bardet, Lutschenko, Thomas, and forgive me if there's no one else, uh, anyone else, Lutschenko moving up the GC standings. Yeah. And Bardet attacks the groups at the base after his maybe Lechnersund was pulling for him. And then Thomas bridges across to him. Thomas then talks to him and he's like, they're like, let's work together. And then Thomas eventually will just drop Bardet, I think, doing his his pace. Um, and then there's another group on the road with like Godu, Vlasov, Menkes, Quintana, not a great day for them. And Nick Schultz, shout out Nick Schultz, unreal performance and Enric Maas. But back in the GC group, Benji, Perigud, McNulty paces the entire climb. No poggy attack. And bear in mind, there's a 5% kilometer after 5Ks. There's two steep kilometers halfway in. Pagacha needs, between me and Benji meeting in the middle, he needs to be a minute behind Jonas in the TT to make this interesting. And so he has to attack just before the ramp. Froome stood still on the ramp, lost 20 seconds, yeah. and he didn't attack. And it, yeah. do, do you think he was under pressure? I think he was under pressure. I think Pogacar wasn't feeling the most comfortable to attack at this point in the race. And I think we saw that after the sector they were on. After that steep section, there's like one snippet that either I'm reading way too much into it, but I think I'm not, where McNulty starts going on the pedals for like a brief three, four seconds, goes a bit faster, and Pogacar directly and grabs opens. his microphone. I, I didn't see the gap open personally, no, but I... 30 centimeters. I was, I was hyper-analyzing. Uh, it probably didn't exist. <laughs> I'm a flat earther, remember? <laughs> I, I, I only saw that Pogacar directly grabbed his microphone, but the second that McNulty sat down, he took his hand off again. Like, he didn't actually need to talk into the microphone. It was like McNulty automatically didn't accelerate as much as he was just a second before that. I'm probably reading too much into it, but I actually don't think I am. I... I see that as a moment where Pogacar was about to say that he needs to make sure that he keeps a tempo that Pogacar himself can follow. I and think McNulty was stronger. Possibly. And I think also Pogacar was worried about the ramp. And as I think he did, he wanted to come into the ramp with fresh legs. That's how I read it. And even there's a weird thing where I think Jonas was like, Jonas moved ahead of Pogacar into the ramp. Yeah. Pogacar was losing the wheel. I was like, it was a bit weird. I'm not sure it was tactically the best thing, but maybe even Jonas was looking at Pagacha thinking, eh, you don't really have it. But the pace definitely leveled off. And so we get to the ramp. The gap to Thomas with McNulty pacing is out to 130. Huge gaps. And the two best in this race sprint up the ramp. Sorry, this has been a long recap, but mental stage. Pagacha first. Jonas in the wheel. Pagacha's bluffing. And Jonas attacks. Pagacha counters and wins the stage, but with no time gap. Four-second bonus, though, over Jonas Vingegaard in second. McNulty third. Thomas, wait for this. Fourth on 2.07. Lushenko fifth, 2.34. Bade sixth, 2.38. Godu seventh, 3.27. He outsprinted a group of Vlasov, Menkes, Quintana on the same time, 3.32. Schultz 11th, 3.38. And I obviously have severe indigestion because uh, I've been so hyped up, had too many sparkling waters today. But yeah, Jonas loses four seconds on GC. He's on 218 now instead of 222 ahead of Pagacha. Thomas is on 456, so I think Pagacha's second is safe. And Quintana is still on fourth. There's actually no changes in the top five. 
but they're now on 753, 757. Quintana Godou, Arde jumps back from ninth to sixth on 921. Uh, Menkes, seventh, still 924. And Vlasov, 956, eighth. Yates moves down 1433 for, wow, <laughs> in ninth. And tenth is on 1635. That is mental. What a stage, Benji. <laughs> Eventually, not huge gaps. UA threw everything at it. Who should be happier after today's stage? Yumbo, who haven't isolated Jonas all stage, or UAE, who threw everything at it, looks strong, but in the end only take four seconds? I think both will have mixed feelings about this, where Pogacar wasn't able to gain in GC, but he got the stage win. His ninth stage win in three years, his 12th Grand Tour stage win in four Grand Tours. That's mental, by the way. Can we think about that? 12 stage wins in four Grand Tours. That's sprinter level when it comes to stage wins. Anyway, just wanted to get that out there. And Yumbo will not be happy because I think Jonas would have liked to have some confirmation today. After that on this one, he would also be better. But I think both. I think Yumbo on the GCN will Yumbo. have an overwhelming happiness because they are... They were able to control for an entire... Well, they didn't do that much when it comes to control. UAE paced for them on two climbs, for example. But they only lost four seconds today. And it was Pogacar's territory, like we mentioned beforehand. So on paper, this was a train for Pogacar to take it back. But in terms of what's on the final climb, and of course, they're going to be less if the stage has been that chaotic. But yeah, for the 22 minutes, uh, Pogacar did 6.21 watts per kilo echelon, which... Is so Calderon and Colombier combo last year. He did do more than that in rainy conditions. McNulty, I think, yeah, McNulty. I don't know what his Valeron was, but he, uh, I think, I don't know. I, I, the Watts aren't actually mutant, at least on Perigood. I gotta say, I have to see Valeron. The devastation is huge. Uh, that being said, am I surprised eventually that Pagacha and Jonas rode away from Thomas and Godu and Bade? No. Am I surprised with Brandon McNulty after how he's looked for the rest of the tour? Yes. Um, that being said, we've said it before, like the parkour suited uh, Pagacha. The question again is Jonas, I think there is one tweet uh, translating a Danish interview where Jonas said he felt good, but could he have attacked Benji? Can he attack with McNulty still there, tapping out that rhythm? I'll be honest, yesterday on Big Air, I would have said 100% he could have attacked here and he could have put Pogacar in trouble there. He could have dropped Pogacar there. Still stand by that 100%. I think if he made a move at two kilometers to go, I would have been very intrigued today to see if Pogacar would have been able to respond because I still say he was on his limit and he was able to recover before having his final sprint. That's how I see today's stage. And I... I'm not sure Jonas could have dropped him. I don't think... I feel like... Is the climb too short? Sprint. It could have changed the sprint result, maybe. Yeah. Like, if you put some pressure on Pogacar, but that could also work the other way for Jonas, and he doesn't want to lose. Like, he's the one with the advantage. So, yeah. with a teammate there, uh, it's not like Pogacar, I think, where he should have attacked. I, I find it hard to say, oh, yeah, attack with McNulty, driving 6.3 watts per kilo, and who probably could lift a bit more. Um <laughs> but yeah, that wasn't all from the stage. We had at the back end, Benji, somehow the camera's still rolling. Crazy performance. Well, crazy as in he was able to make the time <laughs> limit by 16 seconds only. Fabio Jakobsen on the last starting wrap, he had a minute 40, a minute 50 still left to the line. Uh, well, out of time limit, if he was not within those one minute 50 and he got closer and closer and 
I'm glad there's footage of it because this is like a godlike moment for that Netflix show, in my personal opinion. If Jakobsen ends up winning on the Champs Elysees again, the fact that he's able to finish on 16 seconds of the time limit on a race like this, with only a time limit of 36 minutes, by the way. Yeah, small time limit. That's that's insane. That's a very small time limit, in my opinion, for a stage that was as brutal as this one. And the fact that it was ridden so fast probably reduces the time limit, right? No, when it's I think when it when it's faster than expected, it increases the time cut percentage. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, percentage usually. itself is technically lower. It's just that the percentage. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, of a five hour race is more than thirteen percent of a four hour race. But because it's a four-hour race, they make it 14% or something. Something like that? Yes, something like that. But <laughs> I don't care because if Cavendish was here... Oh, he, get out of here! He's there. Well, you don't know he's not there in the break. I mean, Jungles <laughs> is in the break. He's in the break today. So we don't even have to have... Everyone could have gone home earlier. He, so Jakobsen was holding up the van, the Voiture Belay. But anyway... <laughs> Free cav. Um, I think he will be freed with a handsome salary next year, so he doesn't need my free free cav promotion. Tomorrow's stage, the last mount stage, stage eighteen from Lourdes, uh, the holy place to Altacam, also the holy place for Danish climbers. One hundred and forty-four kilometers. Again, the start is flat, although the first four and a half k's are a little bit uphill. I think it will be easier for the break to go tomorrow, but it's largely sixty k's of flat before Col d'Orbisk, which is 17 kilometers at 7%, including the 15th kilometer at 9%. That is a longer climb than anything we saw today and harder. I, I do think, I think UAE will pace the first seven kilometers with Björk and then launch it with McNulty is what I think will happen uh, on that climb. That's what I would do if I was them. It's then a step descent down and then no valleys at all really tomorrow. The Col de Spandels, 10.2 kilometers, 8.3%, very hard 30-minute climb with the ninth kilometer at 10%, first case hard too. And then what I understand is a technical descent uh, down before the Alta camp. So that's three climbs back to back with no valley, all over 30 minutes. And then the Alta camp, 13.5 case, 8% is hard, nothing to altitude. The weather is a bit mild, but still warm. And... In terms of KOM, I'll just start with that first because I have no idea what happened with that today. It seems like it's still, it's yeah. still Geshka. It's still Geshka leading. How? <laughs> How's he only on 64 points? How is no one else? Anyway, poor hey. old Geshka will lose it tomorrow. Jonas Pogger coming closer. Yeah, Jonas yeah. is now on 12 points and Tadej on roughly 18, if my quick maths are correct, yeah. which are always doubtful at this point, to be fairly honest. But Gashka still holding on. I hope he holds on because I don't want this to go no towards way. a GC <laughs> no, rider. No way. Come on, Gashka, you can do this. I believe in you. Nah, Is... it's it's gonna go to Pogacar, I think. Because Pogacar will try and go early and he'll realize 1k before the spawn they'll top that he might not win GC and therefore he'll go for KOM as well and try and grasp that and then see if he can get, can get green jersey points just in case Wout van Art crashes so to try and get something there. Nah, it's a in well, no, well, no I, I think Pogaccio is more likely than Jonas, not because he's necessarily going to win on outer camp, but because when you sprint over the top of the crest of climbs, 
you go over first and take more points. Although yep. Jonas has a lead, uh, I'm not doing the maths at this point in the race. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the two, Jonas or Pagach, take it off for Geshka tomorrow. Um, his, his only chance, his only chance is how the stage plays out. Again, from Yambo Visma, I want the break going earlier than today. Now, whether that means Wout does have to go in it, I think it's not yeah. a bad option. I think Wout in the break is a good option in case UAE launch Cold Orbisk. You can have him for that descent at least, just, I don't know, to give a bid on to Jonas and help him out there. And so we also, as Benji mentioned, have guys deep on GC now, like 10th is on 16 minutes, if my uh, memory is yep. correct. Yeah, Mass on 16. So anyone from Bardet, to yeah Bardet down sixth down on 921 I think can go in the break although I don't think they'll want Bardet Menkes last off in the break and I think those other teams will chase those guys trying to get in the break Yates can go 1433 him and Marcel Lutschenko if I'm Yumbo I will let them in the break so what do you think will happen tomorrow Benji I think that if you're Yumbo in the situation, you look at today's stage and you learn a few things about that. You learn that Wout Fenard was not able to help too much today from the peloton because UAE was the one pacing and therefore he was not really necessary to pace. He paced a tiny bit on the Aspen, which I don't think he should have done because of the Bardet move. I don't think they should have responded to that personally. I think the ideal thing you can learn from today is that having riders ahead as a GC leader against a team that only has Two functional domestic. Yesterday was one functional domestic, but I'd put Bjerg back in the functional domestic bracket after what he showed on today's stage, for he example. Can do but he can do base yeah. of it. Yumbo Visma, a hundred percent needs to learn from this and see. Okay, we can put riders in the breakaway, and then they will be there to actually help because today they were not able to help because yeah. they were basically ridden off the back before they could do something. And that counts for two riders for me that could potentially be in the breakaway, similar to the first stage, Von Hoidonk and Fanard. I don't think Von Hoidonk will be of much help regardless. I'd go Laporte instead know. of Van Hoidonk if he could. Either I'd interchange Van Hoidonk and Laporte, but I think Wout mm -hmm. is, is pretty key in the break. I do yeah. think these longer climbs are better if we go back to the Alps, where we had the Croix de la Fer, uh combo, the Alp de stage. Jumbo Visma were looking very good there. And Nathan Van Hoydonk and paced quite a fair. And no, Laporte post paced most of it. So I think Orbisk suits them a little bit more. And But if McNulty starts pacing, there's nothing those guys can do anyway. So they may as well be ahead. Spandels, if Pagacha wants to win the tour, he must attack on Spandels yeah. and then go full on the descent. He will. He has to, right? If he doesn't, then... His second position is like safer as well compared to SSA. So yeah. he can risk more. Like he's got two minutes. Well, let's say that. Let's say you want at least a 30 second advantage to Thomas just in case when it minute. comes to the time trial if you're Pogachar. A minute? Okay, let's say a minute. Then GTT he still has a is minute. crazy. Then he still has a minute 30 roughly to play with. Yeah. So he can risk something. And he's better than Thomas when it comes to the climbing anyway. Not, unless if, he not if he overextends. Not if he overextends. He can be put in trouble um, if he doesn't feed correctly. But yeah, I think Pagancha will attack on Spandels, whether it's a proper attack in the middle of the climb. I'm not sure whether it's over the into the descent. Uh, 
I think that's more likely. And then Altacam is is hard. And the ninth kilometre, 11th kilometre are steep, 10%, to be honest. Oh, the eighth kilometre is 11% too. I, to be honest, it, it suits Fingergaard more. The All the climbs, frankly, they're steep. The first one's the le- less steep, but uh, there won't be differences there. At least there shouldn't be Spandels and Altacam suit him more. But recovery, who knows? Um, I'm going with... I'm going with Vingegaard to win the stage in yellow and seals the Tour de France tomorrow. I'm going with Pogacar winning the stage and Vingegaard being second on the stage. And I don't think there will be differences between the two, but ideally for GC, there are differences between the two. So we've got an interesting time trial to look at. Then again, I'm asking for 10 stuff, but my heart can't take this anymore. Like, I've lost 10 years during this Tour de France. This has a, been a batshit crazy Tour de France. So, so I don't know what, like, I won the more tense time trial, but on the, on the other hand, I, I, I could use a rest day during that time trial. My heart could use a rest day. The TT, it doesn't matter. The gap's the same as this. If the gap's two minutes, the TT will be tense. I don't, I don't care what my math <laughs> says. I know I did the rational maths on the rest day recap. The, if the gap is two minutes this will be everyone like we will still be glued to our, our seats. Roglic was a dollar point like one dollar oh three, I think, to win the tour before the Planche de Belfi TT in the market. So anything can happen. UAE came good at just the right time. Uh launching today's stage. Can they repeat it tomorrow? We'll see. I think McNulty should be able to be helpful again. He was very, very strong today. Bjerg not as deep into the stage and Yumbo, yeah, gotta get riders up the road, I think. But tour is still on it's i'm very very grateful we have um a pagacha trying to gain back time benji on the last mountain stage it is worlds apart from porte and Arden last year um i yeah. guess last thoughts would be the gc action in the uh group behind i would say that Menkes, i think Menkes will move into fifth tomorrow and he needs to take as much time as possible. I think this suits Menkes tomorrow, and he moves up, and I think Godou and Bardet have another bad day. I think Bardet comes back. I think the you longer reckon? climbs fit Bardet, just like you showed on Granon. True. Uh, this is not the same, I know, but... No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think Bardet surpasses Godou tomorrow. You think Godou struggles? If he's getting dropped by Björg, that's not a good sign. But... Yeah, but Godou's also pretty, like, he I don't back. really care. They both deserve a top five at this point in their Nah, Menkes. Menkes going to play it smart. Menkes, look for him to be the mover tomorrow. Top five of the tour would it. be mental. I think he's playing it smart. I think he's waiting for tomorrow. Today didn't suit him so much. Anyway, long recap, crazy stage. Let us know what you think down below, and we've got the Aftercam stage tomorrow. Thanks, as always, to yourselves and to Swift for supporting the podcast. We'll see you with the recap then. Ciao.